0: engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it
1: now the end abortion podcast by
2: priests for life
1: and
3: welcome to pro-life primetime news today is friday september 9th i'm leslie palma and i'm Teresa watson our top story tonight will discuss unlikely allies for pro-life republicans at the state level And we will hear from an atheist leftist Democrat who is unapologetically pro-life.
1: Pro-life headlines this week will include the story of how a 1931 anti-abortion law was struck down in Michigan, and I'll be bringing you lots more in Abortion
3: in the News. I'll be telling you about the results of the Massachusetts primary and why Ted Cruz is heading to New Hampshire in Political News in a Nutshell. You won't
1: want to miss the announcement by the Department of Veterans Affairs regarding abortions for veterans. And we'll get reaction from Jody Duffy, a
3: veteran who works in post-abortion healing. Stay tuned till the end when we tell you about Life Mark, a movie that opened today and has pro-life, pro-family message. We'll also show you the trailer. Republicans have been joined by scores of unlikely allies in the fight to restrict abortion rights at the state level. A recent analysis of legislative records by CNN showed that numerous Democrats are voting in favor of strict abortion bans around the country. More than 140 Democrats voted in favor of the restrictive abortion laws. These Democrats are from eight of the dozen states with the most restrictive abortion laws, and it should be noted that these Democrats are all men. Republican lawmakers almost always voted in favor of the restrictions, but only one of these laws would have passed without Republican votes alone. Texas State Senator Eddie Lucio Jr., a Democrat, spoke in favor of a controversial anti-abortion bill in 2021. He told CNN that most of his constituents are Christians whose upbringings taught them fundamental values of what is right and wrong. Lucio went on to say that being an anti-abortion Democrat feels lonely at times. He said he doesn't believe abortion is only a woman's issue since both men and women are involved in conception and that men have shown that they have a natural instinct to protect the human race. Lucio went on saying many times, I believe women would choose not to have an abortion if men would demonstrate a moral sense of responsibility. Rocky Adkins, former Kentucky Democrat, state representative and gubernatorial candidate, said in 2019 That his votes represent the views of his constituents in a very conservative district. In Arkansas, Bruce Malick, who no longer serves in the state legislature, is one of the Democrats who voted in favor of the state's trigger ban. John DeBerry, former state representative from Tennessee, had served as a Democrat for more than 20 years. However, in 2020, the Democratic Party removed him from the primary ballot party representatives said at the time that his votes for anti-abortion and school voucher bills, among others, didn't align with the party's values. Life has mattered my entire career, DeBarry said in a 2020 interview with Christianity Today. My principles have not changed and I am not changing my principles because I have a D behind my name. And back in Texas, longtime Democratic State Representative Ryan Gillian announced in November, 2021, he would be officially switching his affiliation from Democrat to Republican. Like Lucio in the Senate, Gillen had voted in favor of both the state's trigger ban and controversial six-week ban enforced through civil litigation. Representative Gillen had been a friend for many years, the state Republican Party chairman said, I am proud to welcome him to the Republican Party. The National Democratic Party's stance on abortion is clear. Democrats believe every woman should be able to access high quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. It's party platform states, we oppose and will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to to women's reproductive and health rights. I have with me tonight Teresa Bakovinak, founder and executive director of POW, Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Teresa is an atheist, leftist Democrat, who is unapologetically pro-life. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Hi, thanks, Teresa. It's an honor to be here.
3: Well, Teresa, I definitely want to talk about your party's stance on abortion, but first tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Sure. Well, I got involved in the pro-life movement as an atheist, as a political progressive, uh, but I I was kind of shy about it. I, I really didn't, tell people that I was pro-life until I found the group secular pro-life. And that's when I realized that I too could be pro-life, that it didn't mean that I had to be a religious conservative uh, to recognize that abortion was murder. And um, and so later in, in my career, I founded pro-life San Francisco and I founded POW last year after moving to Washington, D.C.
3: Well, Teresa, I've been in several meetings with you and I've heard you speak uh, publicly and you're always so passionate about ending abortion. What created that passion for the unborn?
0: Thank you. I um, I, I just I, I do realize that abortion is murder. I've seen the victims of abortion. Uh, I, I saw images and pictures of abortion victims and, and since then in my career, I've actually held the victims of abortion in my hands. And um, it it is very apparent to me, um, but what continues to drive me is that this is not seen so clearly by other people who are like me. And I recognize that there is an opportunity there, that the relationship between the left and the abortion industry is toxic and it's murderous and it's genocidal. And until I'm able to bring pro-life progressives and let us out of the shadows and into, um, into public view, that's when we're going to be able to see real change. And I think it's just like knowing that there's something I can do to help that keeps me going.
3: Well, great. Thank you so much for that. And Teresa, as mentioned early, the Democratic Party platform is clear on its stance for making sure every woman has access to safe and legal abortions. So how do you defend remaining a Democrat yet at the same time being totally against abortion?
0: I think um, Democrats are the people in this movement that are going to end abortion. We are looking at trying to end abortion in all 50 states. That means blue states. And like I mentioned, that relationship between the Democratic Party and the abortion industry, that's where the point of power is for the abortion industry. That's the relationship that needs to be disrupted. And it makes no sense for me to throw away all of my other left-leaning values and abandon the situation for the Republican Party when the fight is in the Democratic Party. It is the responsibility of every Democrat who is pro-life, who, by the way, statistically is out there. At least a third of Democratic voters consider themselves to be actually pro-life. And close to 80 percent of voting Democrats agreed that abortion should be restricted in elective cases later in pregnancy. So the statistics are on our side. It is our responsibility to fight this relationship and to ultimately bring a life-affirming message to every state in America and around the globe.
3: Well, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And I understand you're in Munich. So thank you for really uh, coming on and sharing your insights and passion for the unborn. But in closing, what encouragement would you offer to other pro-life Democrats who may feel like they're a minority that really doesn't matter?
0: You aren't a minority. We are the majority. The majority of Democrats want more abortion restrictions.
3: All right. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. I hope you'll join us again and to uh, be able to discuss some of the many activities POW is involved in. So, um, and if you would like to uh, more information on POW, please visit pownow.org. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you
0: so much. Sorry I cut out there. Really appreciate you guys. Such an honor to be here.
1: Thank you. The South Carolina legislature this week continued work on a bill that would ban nearly all abortions. The House has already passed a bill, but the Senate found itself hamstrung this week when several Republicans spoke out against the measure for not making exceptions for rape and incest. The bill could get to Governor Henry McMaster's desk next week if Republicans can hammer out their differences. South Carolina's heartbeat bill was blocked by the state Supreme Court, so abortion remains legal in South Carolina until 20 weeks. A judge on Wednesday struck down Michigan's 1931 anti-abortion law, ruling that it violates the state constitution. Judge Elizabeth Gleicher, the chief judge on Michigan's Court of Claims, had been accused of ethical violations for agreeing in April to hear the case, since she annually donates to Planned Parenthood, the nation's leading abortion seller, and the plaintiff in one of two legal challenges to the law. Gleicher also represented the abortion chain as a volunteer attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union in the 1990s. Governor Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer is an abortion supporter who filed the other lawsuit against the 1931 law, and she is known to boast that, quote, the only reason Michigan continues to be a pro-choice state is because of my veto and my lawsuit. Incumbent Whitmer will face pro-life challenger Tudor Dixon in November. Separately, the Michigan Supreme Court still is considering whether to place a proposed amendment on the November 8th ballot that would add abortion rights to the Constitution. The Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade in June, Democrats called for increasing the number of justices on the court or imposing term limits. There was even talk of impeaching some of the justices. But a new Gallup poll has shown that more Americans support the court following that controversial ruling. The poll found that 43 percent of Americans support the court, up from 40 percent in 2021. While a majority of those polled said they do not approve of the court, at least the numbers on the flip side should give some encouragement to the justices who have dealt with unprecedented harassment before and after the decision on Roe. Roger Hanshaw, the Speaker of the West Virginia House of Delegates, plans to call members back into session Monday to continue discussions on an abortion bill, but Senate President Craig Blair said Senators will not be coming back. In July, the House passed a bill that would ban abortions except for pregnancies conceived in rape and incest. The Senate version of the bill added several amendments that House members would not agree to, ending the legislative session with abortion still legal in the state after a judge blocked enforcement of a 150-year-old law banning the procedure. Governor Jim Justice has accused the lawmakers of being more concerned about winning re-election than saving the lives of the unborn. The West Virginia Chamber of Commerce released a poll Tuesday that showed 51 percent of respondents identify as pro-life, with 45 percent calling themselves pro-choice. 18% said abortion should be legal in all circumstances, with 13% saying it should be illegal all of the time. Actress Jennifer Lawrence is in the news this week for saying she once considered an abortion, but then had a miscarriage, and that being a mother is the best thing that ever happened to her. In an interview with Vogue, she described her reaction to becoming a mother. Quote, the morning after I gave birth, I felt like my whole life had started over. Like now is day one of my life. I just stared, I was just so in love. I also fell in love with all babies everywhere. Newborns are just so amazing. They're these pink, swollen, fragile little survivors. Now I love all babies. But in a second interview with the same reporter, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the 32-year-old actress disclosed that she had gotten pregnant in her 20s and intended to have an abortion but suffered a miscarriage instead. She later got pregnant with a wanted baby but had a second miscarriage. It's not clear if she still loves all pink, swollen, fragile little survivors, or only those who aren't inconvenient. On the international scene, voters in Chile overwhelmingly rejected a new Constitution Sunday that would have stripped away unborn babies' right to life and legalized abortion on demand. The Washington Times reported that just 38% of voters supported the progressive Constitution, while 62% rejected it. But lawmakers in the tiny European nation of San Marino voted to legalize abortion following a referendum last year in which citizens voted to overturn the country's 150-year-old abortion ban. The public health system in the nation of 33,300 people will pay for abortions. The vote leaves only two European countries, Andorra and Malta, without legal abortion. And Poland last year passed a law severely restricting the procedure.
3: And now we turn to political news. This week, Jeff Deal, a former state representative endorsed by former President Donald Trump, won the Republican nomination for Massachusetts governor over businessman Chris Dowdy, who was considered the more moderate candidate in the race. Governor Charlie Baker, a pro-choice Republican, announced earlier this year that he would not seek a third term in the state's highest office. His announcement and Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito's decision not to run opened up the race for governor for both major parties. The victory for Deal sets up a general election contest against Democratic Attorney General Maura Healey, who would be the first openly gay person and the first woman elected governor in Massachusetts if she wins in November. Leah Cole Allen, who ran with Jeff Deal for lieutenant governor, was declared the winner in the Republican primary edging out Dowdy's running partner, Kate Campanelli. Massachusetts was the only state with a primary this week, as nominating season is winding down and voters prepare for November's general elections. Primaries will be held in Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Delaware on Tuesday, September 13th. Democrats in Rhode Island face a crowded gubernatorial field going into the primary. Five candidates are vying for the chance to go against the winner of the Republican gubernatorial primary. Candidates Ashley Callis and Jonathan Riccatelli are vying for the spot. Democrats and Republicans are pouring millions of dollars into campaign ads in New Hampshire just days before voters there nominate a Republican candidate to challenge Senator Maggie Hassan, who is considered one of the more vulnerable Democrats in the November general election. Senator Ted Cruz will head to New Hampshire next week on a 2022 mission that will also spark more speculation about his national ambitions in 2024. Cruz will travel to the crucial general election battleground state to campaign with Republican Caroline Livitt in her bid to win the nomination for a seat in the House, according to Fox News. The Get Out the Vote rally will be held Thursday evening at American Legion Post 27 in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Levitt, a 25-year-old veteran of former President Donald Trump's White House press team, is considered one of the frontrunners for the highly contested swing seat currently held by two-term Democratic Representative Chris Pappas. Republicans consider Pappas vulnerable amid a political climate that for the past year has favored the GOP. Republicans need a net gain of just five seats in November's midterms to win back the House majority they lost in the 2018 elections. Senator Ted Cruz is one of the greatest champions of the Constitution and our God-given freedoms on Capitol Hill. I am grateful for his support and I look forward to welcoming him back to the live free or die state as we work to defeat the establishment on September 13th, Levitt told Fox News in a statement. Cruz in endorsing Levitt last October said in a statement at the time that Caroline is a fighter who shares our core values, will bring new leadership to D.C. and help conservatives stand up to the swamp. And that's political news in a nutshell.
1: The Department of Veterans Affairs last Friday announced it would start providing abortions to veterans and their eligible dependents in certain circumstances, even in states where the procedure is illegal or restricted. The federal agency said it's changing its long-standing policy on abortion in order to save the life and health of veterans. The rule is effective immediately and will allow women receiving VA services to have an abortion in cases where the baby was conceived in rape or incest and when the mother's life is imperiled by the pregnancy. In cases of rape or incest, a woman won't have to provide evidence of the crime, such as a police report, as some states require. The Department of Defense currently provides abortions to active duty military members using the same criteria, but only about two dozen abortions are reported each year by the Pentagon. The VA provides healthcare services to some 300,000 female veterans and their dependents in 171 medical centers across the nation. Whether the agency will hire abortionists or use current medical staff is not known, but the VA has said it could end up footing the bill for veterans who have abortions in civilian facilities. Jodie Duffy was 21 years old and a newly commissioned second lieutenant in the U.S. Army when she became pregnant. She had an abortion, and although she realized immediately she had made a mistake, she rationalized that she had done the right thing for her military career. But because of that abortion, she resigned from the military when her four-year commitment was over. She married another soldier. He retired as a two-star general and has remained involved with the military. The regional coordinator for Georgia for the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, Jody is a registered nurse and the former director and current military and veterans program coordinator for post-abortion treatment and healing Atlanta. Jody is also the founder and current team leader for the only all military and veterans, Rachel's Vineyard Retreat Team located in Atlanta. She's been married for 41 years to retired Army Major General William Duffy. They have three sons and seven grandchildren. I've asked Jody to join us with her reaction to the V-Day's about face on abortion. Welcome Jody and thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate it.
1: I feel like this was a shot out of the blue. I from the uh this announcement from the VA.
2: Were you surprised when you heard it? I was very surprised. I was very surprised because it's a law that speci- specifically prohibits the VA from providing abortion services. That was passed in 1992. Um so it's it's not just a a, you know a policy it's not just a a regulatory matter this is overreach on the biden administration uh, because this is a is contrary to a long-standing settled law so yes i was taken by surprise
1: yeah um, va secretary dennis mcdonough has been quoted saying pregnant veterans and va beneficiaries deserve to have access to world-class reproductive care when they need it most that's what our nation owes them, and that's what we at VA will deliver. What was your reaction when you heard that abortion is what we owe veterans, people who put their lives on the line for our nation?
2: It was, it was kind of the same reaction I had when they talked about we owe our active military abortion. Abortion isn't health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, we owe it to our veterans, our, our female veterans, to help them, to help them get healthy, help me get healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically. And abortion is not healthcare. And a lot of female soldiers, especially young ones, are dealing with PTSD from being over in uh, in war. They're dealing with military sexual trauma, which is sexual assault. Um, and, and we need to get to the root cause of their behaviors that would cause them to have unintended pregnancies because a lot of them are acting out because of their PTSD and their MST. So they're in relationships that are are bad relationships. They might get pregnant, um, seek abortion. We don't, what we don't want is we don't want a trauma upon another trauma. We just need to get to the root causes of their problems and their behavior so that they don't get to the point where they have to have an abortion. Um, also, saying that abortions are going to be offered for the case of rape or incest, I don't understand that because when you enlist at age 18 and you spend two or three years in the military, you're 21 by the time you get out, how is incest part of this This veteran's you know, um, services for abortion. And also, they said that in the case of rape, that you don't have to have a police report. Well, that's, that is just going to be uh, ripe for fraud and on the part of, of veterans who may have had an unintended pregnancy that's not a result of rape, and then they go and say that it is. So you're they're defrauding the government, they're defrauding the taxpayers, um, I think this thing is just opening a, a, a can of worms that has no explanations for for a lot of things right now. Yeah, I think you're right. But tell me a little bit about your work with PATH and the special outreach you have to the military. Okay. Well, since I am a veteran, um, I started reaching out to other veterans about post-abortion healing about 10 years ago. But A little over two years ago, I decided that I wanted to create a program that was just specifically for our military and our veterans. So another veteran and myself run Save One virtual Bible studies, uh, abortion healing Bible studies for veterans. And then we offer Rachel's Vineyard Retreats solely for military veterans and their family members. And we've done two of those already in the Antland area. And there, it's what the veterans have told me is they feel so much more comfortable being in a setting with other military people. So they were able to open up. We didn't have to really explain things to each other. Um, right. You know, it just it is just worked that way. And um, I found it to be just a, a very rewarding Um, ministry to go into. We've got 2 million female veterans out there. A lot of them have had abortions for one reason or another, either prior to going in the military or after going into the military. But the unintended pregnancy rate in the military is 50% greater than it is in the general population. And most of those unintended pregnancies end in abortion. So somewhere along the line, those women get out of the military, they become veterans, and they're carrying a lot of this trauma uh, from a a past abortion with them into their veteran life. Um, Same thing with family members that, uh, you know, maybe carrying this with them or even active duty folks. We've had active duty people coming on that have come on our retreats. Um, So it's it's a real important ministry to reach out to them. And another thing is, when you're talking about providing this for uh, abortion services for veterans, I will tell you that the suicide rate for women veterans is four times that of females in the civilian population.
1: Wow.
2: Okay. So why are we adding something to their trauma? You know, they, they've they already got enough issues with PTSD and military sexual trauma. Um, why would we add, you know, something that really isn't health care? Nice. It's 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 trauma. So. Um, All right. Well, Jody,
1: we're just about out of time, but I want to thank you for your service and for your continued uh, devotion and compassion for for veterans and military people. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and talk to our viewers.
2: Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about caring for our veterans. Thank you. All right, thanks.
1: Although neither of us have seen an advance copy, we're going to recommend a movie you might want to consider seeing this weekend.
3: Life Mark tells the story of a young man whose life takes an unexpected turn when the woman who made an adoption plan for him decides to try to find him. This true story was something I knew had to become a movie, said star and co-producer Kirk Cameron. The film is based on the
1: 2017 short documentary I Lived on Parker Avenue, in which attorney and pro-life speaker David Scotton shares his experience as an adopted child reconnecting with his biological mother, Melissa.
3: While adoption is the focus of the movie, abortion figures prominently. After Melissa and David reconnect, they visit the now-closed abortion clinic Melissa went to when she first found out she was pregnant. And Melissa tells David about the day he nearly died.
1: The film will open in select theaters across the country, but it's almost certain to be ignored by movie reviewers because of its pro-adoption, pro-family themes. Let's help make it a blockbuster hit. Ah!
0: Are you okay with people knowing that you're adopted? Yes.
2: Mostly. Not really. Do you remember asking to see that when you were about eight years old? How old were they? I think she was 18. And he was 17. I honestly had no idea that this many people were wanting to adopt. Imagine how scared she must have been. She was pregnant when she graduated and then the decision to place you for adoption.
3: God, if you're there, please protect him. and watch over him.
2: There's a birth mother on the line with a question for you. Must have been the hardest decision of her entire life. Hello? But she loved you, and I'm so glad that she made the choice that she did.
3: I've always wondered if my biological parents think about me today's david's 18th birthday
2: you want to talk to him
3: i don't think he'd want to talk to me
1: It's only one way to find out
2: i guess maybe i didn't want to feel different you didn't want to be an i did not
1: want to be different different okay good that's a lot better
2: god gave you to me and mom as a gift and you will always be our son is that your birth mom
1: she wants to meet. Really? Yeah.
3: This is huge. Hey, what's up, Emily? How's it going? That's Elizabeth.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida.
3: We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you support this show, Defending Life, and all of our broadcasts, including Just Ask Janet, Oceans of Mercy, Pro Life is the New Punk Rock, and Primetime Live with Father Frank by making a donation to prolifegift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life. As Mother Angelica, founder of EWTN, would say, please keep us between your gas and electric bill. If you have an idea for a story or
1: would like to expose something in the abortion industry, please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.